Hello, and welcome, viewer friends. I'm Kira, and today I'll be trying to unpack the filled to bursting suitcase that was married at first sight, the reunion. Judging by some of the comments made later, uh, this reunion seems to have been filmed after the show wrapped, but before it aired. What would really be worth watching would be a reunion filmed after the show has aired. Like the Australians know this well. Maths you piles on the reunions, sometimes mixing and matching seasons to max out the drama gauge. Something weird about this little get-together is that it starts off like a pre-dinner party, with everyone having a few glasses of wine, you know, first before they meet the experts. Wine before meeting the experts? That's new. I suppose now that the couples are all off the clock, they can just slurp as much Sauvignon as they like beforehand. Bob and Megan are the first pair in. Although it's clear that they're still not a couple, they seem relaxed together and they share a laugh about how they'll never attempt a relationship with each other ever again. Meg looks the same, but Bob's hair is shaggier and his shirt is unbuttoned to the navel, showing an equally shaggy chest carpet. Amy makes an appearance, walking into the room alone. Oh snap, she's by herself though, exclaims a shocked expert Paul. Amy looks amazing. She's had some highlights and she's wearing a glamorous, sparkly golden gown. Adam and Taya come in and promptly ask Amy where Josh is. She tells him that the couple are no longer together. Expert Paul cannot believe this. There was just a lack of effort. I know what I bring to the table. I brought the table, says Amy. She's full of such pithy phrases. Tenor bet she has some sort of new age self-help manual out by Christmas. Next, a clean-shaven ant walks in. He looks about 14 without his facial fuzz. He's followed by Morag. Alone. I know, big shock, she jokes, walking in. Expert Paul is positively distraught. Oh my goodness, man, he says, bawling his fists up to his eyes. So Morag and Luke are not together? Morag spilled us the beans. The long and short of it was, the moment I left the experiment until now, Luke has never phoned me once. There is widespread scepticism among the group. I can't believe that, says a savvy Amy. Luke always came across as the one making all the effort, she says. Morag tells her that that is not the case at all. Expert Mel is not happy that Luke has ghosted Morag. Expert Paul reminds her that this is Morag's side of the story. Indeed. Alexis comes in looking like a glam Bianca Belair. She's a wrestler. Uh, Megan wonders if either Ant or Alexis are worried to see Nikita tonight. Alexis says if Nikita tries to start something, she'll be fighting with herself, because Alexis is not here for that, honey. Mara asks if Meg or Bob are worried about seeing Jordan. Meg says she's not interested in speaking to him at all. Bob says his parents call Jordan a prick. The lovers, Dan and Matt, are next in, talking about still being blessed, etc. Matt's hair looks shaggier too. This is like uh, the Harry Potter film where all the boys suddenly have mullets. Harry Potter and the hairdresser strike. When Nikita walks into the room, everyone jumps. She greets everyone but Ant. When he asks why, she says, You blocked us on Instagram for no reason. Morag takes her aside to calm her down. I feel like I'm a volcano that's about to erode, she says. <laughs> yeah, you're about to erode your freedom if you start flipping tables over here, Kita. Nikita tells Morag that there are questions that need answering. She says she heard through the grapevine that Ant came back to the experiment with Alexis, 
and such a heinous violation of girl code cannot stand. Next in the door is a kind of tanned looking Luke. Morag cues for her greeting hug and it's a no no eye contact, half-hearted effort lasting a second. The ex-experts gasp at the coldness. Ant and Luke are crammed next to each other on a packed sofa and Ant, who you might remember went off at Morag at a dinner party for being disingenuous in her feelings for Luke, asks Luke if he's looking forward to getting in front of the experts again. Luke says he is, adding, I'm asking some fucking questions. Oh, indeed, indeed. Ant squeezes his shoulders in a comical gesture of excited congratulations. Just don't lie, says Luke. If you weren't into it, say you weren't into it. Don't lie. Hmm. Arlise and a much longer-haired Frankie come in all dressed in black. They're followed by Jordan. There are some awkward hugs and Meg pulls a big face. Josh, Josh comes in and gives Amy a half hug, which she tries to awkwardly convert to a full body hug. Cringe. Once we get into the room with the experts, the wine glasses are gone and we're shown a clip of all the first sights of the show. It's a very artful uh, piece of video with sweeping shots and a sumptuous string-laden score. Adam cries watching the moment he saw his beloved for the first time. It's genuinely beautiful. This is what a man in love looks like. Mel calls Amy and Josh up to the couch first, and thank goodness because I want to know what happened. Josh says that things were fine after the vow renewals, but then the couple didn't see each other for a month. It wasn't a month, babe. It was 10 days, shoots Amy. She says she went back to Cornwall to see her dogs and take care of some business. And then I don't know. Something happened. And it was just... That was it. 10 days isn't a lot. And I'm sorry, but if you can lose your feelings after 10 days, were they ever even fucking real? Josh snorts at this and tells the experts that it looks like Amy is looking for a fight. Josh's ex- explanation uh, is confusing. From my side, it was the consistency from Amy where she was putting me on the back foot. The camera pans over to Nikita, who asks Morag what this means. Like, basically, she didn't try. She didn't care, says Morag. Wrong. Wrong. To be put on the back foot means to be at a disadvantage. To be on the back burner means to put something off. One of the things that has kind of amused and annoyed me in equal measure this season are the many malapropisms employed by the participants. This season of maths has been harder on the English language than Adam's abs, and for the most part it's been funny. However, in cases such as this one, it makes it difficult to decipher what's going on. You are constantly putting me in doubt, clarifies Josh, showing that at least he knows the correct usage of the phrase. I'm not putting up with it. What was the moment the moment you realised it was over? It was a build-up of things, says Josh. Yeah, but what was the straw that collapsed the spine of your relationship? I can't remember, he stonewalls. Well, it couldn't have been that significant, could it, if you can't fucking remember it, spits Amy venomously. Eventually, it's clear that it was Amy's mood swings that settled for Josh. There's plenty of scenarios where you've just flipped for no reason. I tolerate a lot of things and there comes a point where you know your worth and it's like, I don't need to be putting up with this. Mel reminds Amy that she said she was in love with Josh earlier on at the mixer. Josh says that she never mentioned being in love. Amy tells him that she didn't tell him she was in love because she didn't want to scare him off. To be honest, I still have a lot of feelings for you, she says. 
How does that land for you, Josh? inquires Mel. I have a heart, obviously, but a time comes when enough is enough. And if you're not compatible with someone, you're not compatible. Mel asks for Amy's response. She says she's shocked hearing all this. She says a lot of people warned her how things would be with Josh and she couldn't, but she just couldn't see it for herself. As soon as we checked out of the apartment, he checked out of the relationship. Again, it's a nice line, but I have a nagging suspicion that I've heard this already on Maths AU. Amy breaks down, asking, when is it ever going to be Amy's time for love, hey? When Mel points out, when Mel points out that Amy is crying, Josh, quick as a flash, says she wouldn't be comfortable with me touching her right now. Amy said she's, Amy says she would actually love a hug. And so Josh pushes, puts his arm around her, but keeps his body angled away. Amy tries to engage him fully, but he resists. It's so awkward. The couple are dismissed by the experts and Josh leaps up off the couch like a scalded bear. Amy lingers for a bit, obviously aware that once she leaves the couch, there will be no more expert interventions for her and Josh. It's over, Amy. I-V-I-H. However, much like first dates, the show basically serves a dual function as advertising your single status and imbuing you with a little bit of celebrity to help you find a better match in the outside world. So I have no doubt Amy will end up with a string of Josh lookalikes, each more emotionally available than the last. Best of luck to her. Dan and Matt are up next. They're all smiles and wrapped around each other like a pair of octopi with attachment issues. Experts Paul ask Daniel if Matt's ma has warmed to him yet. Dan says he baked her some scones and that has softened her considerably. Let me tell you, no middle-aged woman can, who can tolerate gluten can resist a scone. The experts bask in the warm glow of their love for a brief moment before dismissing them. Next up to the couch are Aunt and Nikita. Mel starts by saying things looked promising at the wedding, but the honeymoon was something else. Oh, it's not that deep, says Nikita dismissively. Mel asks how it was for Aunt. It wasn't fun, he admits. Nikita objects and he says there are no key points where I thought this is a good time. Amy lets out a Mrs. Krabopolish, ha, upon hearing this. <laughs> Anne says that the wedding day was fine, but it was clear that the couple weren't a match from the start. But there was someone else who caught your eye, says Mel. Nikita starts messing with her shoe, and for a second, I honestly thought she was going to use it to go for Alexis. The clip of um, Alexis and Anne flirting at the dinner party is played, and Nikita says, She's a fucking snake-like. Oh, right, I was a snake for someone who wasn't my friend, says Alexis from the audience. I was your mate, man, says, says Nikita, while Ant sits back, thoroughly enjoying the drama. You was not my friend, Alexis says, twice. How can you say that? I want to know how I wasn't your friend, says a hurt Nikita. She tells the judges, I mean the experts, <laughs> uh, Ant never mentioned anything about a connection and when Nikita asked him if he thought Alexis was fit, he said no. All that really proves is that he didn't fancy getting a wallop in the face off Nikita. Jordan decides now would be a good time to speak up. He says that, from his point of view, there is no connection between him and Alexis, so why shouldn't she feel free to pursue someone else? Well, you would say that, Jordan, wouldn't you? Nikita points out that she stuck up for Alexis at the dinner party because she thought they were friends. I'll be really honest with you. I didn't think we had a friendship, says Alexis. 
If there's one thing Alexis could say to make things fine, what would it be? Expert Paul asks. Well, she's not going to apologise, says Nikita, before Alexis interrupts, saying, That's how I know you don't even know me, because the first thing I said when I got here is that I'd like to leave as adults. Resolved. Alexis goes on to say she owes Nikita an apology for making her feel bad. I am sorry if I hurt your feelings or if I made you feel like I broke girl code or betrayed you. I'm sorry. Nikita accepts her apology and Alexis makes a joke about how now no one wants aunt anyway. They hug and it's nice. Nikita is a little bit bonkers but she seemed hurt over the matter and to have it resolved in a classy kind of way was nice. Hashtag girl code forever. Bob and Meg are next on the couch. It's boring. They're friends, nothing more. What were some of the negative things during the experiment? Asks expert Charlene. Well, one of them's there, says Bob, pointing at Jordan. It was only a joke, Bob says to an unsmiling Jordan. To be fair, has he ever smiled? But it's not, says Mel. It's water under the bridge, says Bob. Ultimately, everyone involved learned a lot from the situation, says Meg, like a government spin doctor. Surely the only things learned here were, if you cheat, keep it yourself, unless you want to have to talk about it non-stop for the next four weeks. You've apologised, expert Paul says to Meg before turning to face Jordan. I'm curious, Jordan. Do you have anything to say? Jordan, in his low, rumbly, tree-beard voice, says he already apologised to Bob. But as the man that I am, I will apologise to you again, he says, not actually apologising. Paul says, Paul asks if he said sorry to Meg, and Jordan gets a bit sassy with Paul. I didn't say sorry to Megan. I think you can recall that, but if you don't, I'll remind you. I'm saying sorry to Rob, he says. Paul points out that he should also be sorry for the fact that Megan was the one left to bear the brunt of the fallout of Kissgate. Jordan offers a non-apology. You can tell it's a non-apology because it starts with the words, I'm sorry if you felt. We move on. And Mel commends Meg for bouncing back from being a loose-lipped Lady Lothario and becoming a woman of integrity. She also says that Meg and Bob are role models for the whole group on how to deal with challenging situations, but I think she's getting a bit carried away here. Bob dealt with every situation with tearfulness, and Meg was going to stay in the experiment just to have an affair, so, you know. Finally, it's Luke and Morag's turn on the couch, and not a moment too soon, because I need to know what happened here. They sit very far apart. Luke can start, Morag says. Nah, I'm going to go second, he says confidently. He looks kind of angry. A clip of the final, the final vows are played. And we see them all happy, ready to head off into the sunset together, hand in hand. Now you see why we're confused, says expert Paul. Because Morag, you looked sincere there. Morag speaks for a while about how the couple were in a good place, etc. The position we was in... I felt like I owed it to give it I owed it to us to give it a go. However, from the moment we left the experiment, Luke hasn't phoned me once. There are surprised faces all around. And every day I don't hear from him I get angrier and angrier, she continues. Expert Charlene asks for Luke's side. He says he got to the end of the experiment and still felt as though Morag wasn't giving one hundred percent. I said, I'm not gonna put any pressure on you whatsoever, and we agreed that I would give her space, says Luke. He says he didn't call Morag, but messaged her every morning and night, and in between too. Then he drops the bombshell. We spoke on one day, and you turned round and categorically told me that you'd never seen us in a relationship. He turns to the experts. It was like, what have I been fighting for? I was like, what did the final commitment ceremony mean to you? And she said, it was a TV show. 
I never said that, says Morag. Yes, you did, says Luke. I said it was an experiment. It wasn't a real marriage, and you wasn't my boyfriend, clarifies Morag. Jesus, she's not exactly covering herself in glory here. What am I supposed to take from that, Luke says. You did say you'd never seen us in a relationship. That's because you never asked me to be your girlfriend, shouts Morag. What did we just go through, Luke asks, and fair dues. Like, surely if you get through this experiment and decide to stay together, boyfriend-girlfriend status is implicit. Expert Paul tells the couple to look at each other and asks them if they truly do want out of the relationship. I think I was played the whole time, says Luke, dismissing Morag's protestations with a wave of his hand. Amy, who has always felt deeply involved in the couple's relationship, attempts to interrupt the action, but Alexis tells her to pipe down because it's Luke's turn to speak. Morag insists that Luke back up his last comment with some facts. I wasn't the guy you wanted, and it was just a game for you the whole time. Morag disputes this, but he says, it's a lie. Amy can hold her peace no longer, and she tells Luke that Moo has been genuinely vulnerable throughout the process. He doesn't care. I don't even know who you are anymore, shouts Morag. Whatever, says Luke. Paul asks Luke, how did he feel about Morag's mate saying that she really did care for him? I never felt it. I never did, he says. If you never felt it, why did you stand up here and say you love me? Morag says, misunderstanding Luke's comment, thinking that he was referring to himself when obviously he meant that it was a he never felt any emotion from her. Luke says that he did say it, but it was because he was trying and he felt he was getting there. You were trying. So, did you love me or not? asks Morag. No, is Luke's immediate response. Oh, come on. Rolling back a profession of love once the relationship goes belly up is an old trick and not one becoming a gentleman. So then you're fake, says Morag. I'm not fake. Luke says in a low voice. So why did you stand up and say you loved me? Luke finally loses his composure. Because I had feelings for you and they were growing and at the time I felt it, I did and that's the truth. (laughs) The other couples are enjoying this, mostly the girls and Frankie, who has never been a fan fan of Morag since he tagged her as the bitchin' bitch who authored the controversial couples letter. I know this is not what nobody wants to hear, but it's how I feel, Luke tells the others. Mel asks what the couple have learned from this experience. I can't change. I am who I am. I'm over it, but I feel used, says Luke. I was very guarded before, says Morag. I didn't want marriage. I didn't want anything like that. (laughs) Upon hearing this, Luke throws up his hands and looks at the assembled couples. But it has opened me up to wanting someone that is right for me. You should have been open before you got here, you big time waster. Outside, Luke tells the camera that he got closure, and that's the end of that. Morag says she hasn't gotten closure. That man on the sofa tonight was not the man I married. Next on the couch are Marlies and Frankie. Frankie Flags tells the experts that now he lives in the same village as Mar, and although it has been an ego check, being the new guy in town and having to start from scratch, the nice feeling of meeting someone amazing pushes all that ego to one side. Oh. Mara is equally happy. She says that Frankie has been stoic and not complained once and that her sons love him. They've said to me, Mum, Frankie is the best guy you've met, she says. 
This garners a round of applause. A friend of mine, Paul Brunson, once said, actions speak louder than words, says Frankie, nodding at expert Paul. And her actions, he thumps a fist on his chest. They share a smooch and are dismissed by the experts. Last, of course, is love's young dream, Adam and Taya. They're shown a clip of the final vows and his proposal. The two of them start crying, watching it, and so does expert Paul. Mel puts a reassuring hand on his arm as he fights through tears. Thank you for showing us what love looks like. Love is the only thing that keeps us moving, and you have shown us that. Round of applause and a moment to wipe away tears. I've been the most extremely luckiest person ever, Taya says. We both have, says Adam. Taya thanks the experts, saying that if it wasn't for the show, the couple, who live 100 miles apart, likely never would have met. And that is the perfect place to end this reunion, says expert Paul. And he is totally correct. More applause. And then that is that for Married at First Sight UK Season 6. It has been quite a ride, viewer friends. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Like I've toyed with the idea of recapping Maths AU, but to be honest, I binge-watched it after it aired in Australia, so I already know what happens. Maths AU ha uh, has 35 episodes, and it airs five nights a week, not four, so that's just too much maths for this mosque. Also, I'm protesting E4 only showing season 8, skipping season 7 entirely, and given some bullshit excuse about wanting to show a more recent series instead. If they really cared about the viewers, they'd air season 7, because it is a doozy, and, spoiler alert, contains far less gaslighting than season 8. Not a single couple from the season is still together. For reference, two couples from season 6 are still together, uh, two from season 8 are still together. And um, this really tells you everything you need to know about season 7. You know what, viewer friends? I think I'm going to do a summary of season 7's most memorable events. Stay tuned. In the meantime, I plan to catch up on some Drag Race UK Season 3, so keep your peepers peeled for that one. Until then, viewer friends! Let me hear your thoughts! Get in touch with us on Twitter at Adventures in TV 2, or you can email me on Adventures in TV, TV spelled T E E V E E, at gmail.com. And you can find us on all the other places, Instagram, Facebook and everything, at Be Unkind Rewind. See you then, viewer friends. <laughs>